Today on Bruce Springsteen Sings the Alphabet, live in Dublin. 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 Oh, I kind of just almost like flirted with an Irish accent. And then I thought like, no, better not. Dublin. Better not. You did it. You got close enough. Just close enough. Just, I, I put a little skip in my step. Just, just, yeah. just enough to sound like I might have just gotten done looking at a Lucky Charm cereal box. Uh, anyway, uh, hey everybody, you're listening to Bruce Springsteen Sings the Alphabet. This is the podcast where we used to talk about every Bruce Springsteen song one by one in alphabetical order, but now it's season two, you see. And so now we're doing right. the albums in chronological order. It's season and we're, two, you see. <laughs> and we're, we're being a little selective about what albums. I get that, like, today we're talking about the Live in Dublin album. And I get that there are completists out there, and they wouldn't be wrong to complain like, hey, you didn't do uh, Live in New York City. You didn't do Live in Barcelona. You're probably not going to do Live in Hyde Park. Spoiler alert, we are not. And no. so the question then becomes, oh, you didn't do Hammersmith Odeon. No. So, like, Though why? It is Say what? widely regarded, and we have said, very good recording. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and partially it's, I mean, I, well, we can get into it right away as we get into the record, but I mean, partially it's because like, this is, in my opinion, come right out of the gate and say it. I said, we said it last week. This is the better version of we shall overcome the secret sessions. You know oh, what I mean? Yeah. Like, because, because to me, the, the reason you want to talk about this is because if we only talk about the secret sessions, we, we sort of leave it at like, well, these are better when we, when we hear them live, but we didn't really get a chance to talk about them live because we're, we had 18 songs to get to last week. So we, we needed to carve out some space and really honor these songs. And quite frankly, the arrangement of the, of, of the reinterpretations of the original Bruce Springsteen songs that I think deserves a whole thing all unto itself. Oh, yeah, we're going to talk about a few today. They're incredible. Yeah, as opposed to, like, Live in New York, which is excellent, but it's not that much, like, in, in terms of, like, sonic quality and what it offers to the overall thing, it doesn't offer that much new things beyond what we already got with 75 to 85 box That's set. right. You know that what I mean? That much new things. Yeah, that much new thing. Listen, it's quarantine rules. I told you. Quarantine rules. I want to see like a couple guys in a back alley, you know, with top hats on, just kind of doing fisticuff motions. Mm-hmm. And the guy being like, all right, here now the rules, you see. All right, these is the quarantine rules. Rule number one, we're throwing proper grammar out the window. <laughs> Rule number two, no stay showering. six feet apart unless you're trying to get in for a slap now, you hear? <laughs> yeah. Anyway, yeah, I didn't prepare my remarks quite as well as maybe I should have. But anyway, to me, that's that's why it's it's necessary to talk about Live in Dublin. What do you think? I mean, am, would you add to that? Are, are there more justifications that I have not offered yet? No, I mean, it's just these are some of these are the definitive recordings of these songs. And also, it's just it gets me in a great mood. Like, that's why I've been trying to talk like a New Orleans 1920s carnival man for half of this episode. Like, it just puts you in a really specific place. And we thank you for that. Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Anytime. <laughs> well, then let's just get into it. So this is the uh, the, the official title it. of this release is Bruce Springsteen with the Sessions Band, colon, Live in Dublin. Now, I think, first of all, it's interesting that he doesn't call it, he doesn't title this Bruce Springsteen and the Sessions Band. It's with the Sessions Band. I'm sure yeah. there's a reason for that. I'm sure it has to do with recording rights and money and uh, copyright and publishing and all that, but... Uh, on the cover, it's not Bruce Springsteen and the Sessions Band. It's Bruce Springsteen with the Sessions Band. JB, from the legality of all, like who gets money for what, does that make a difference, do you think? Uh, does, is, are the words with and no, and different enough to make a difference between who gets paid what? No, because it's like recording versus writing versus performing. Those are sort of the three categories, so it doesn't matter. Yeah. You but, get a writing credit, a performing credit, but, and a... And a recording credit. But the word with implies a further distancing, right? Like Bruce Springsteen and the E Street Band, Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers, Frankie Valley and the Four Seasons. You know what I mean? Like it, like and makes it sound like they're one like co- cohesive unit. But with makes it sound like, well, there was the Sessions Band and there's also Bruce Springsteen and they're going to come together and do a thing with each other tonight, but then they're going to go their separate ways. Do you hear it that way or am I over parsing? I think you're over parsing. I mean, and that, but that is what it is. <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh, I'm, you're over parsing it, but also that is 100% accurate to what's happening here. <laughs> Cause I mean, I mean, yeah, that's, that's yeah. what happened. 
Yeah, so uh, th- this was released June the 5th, 2007, which is only a couple of months before the release of Magic, which we will talk about next time, and I'm very excited. I could have done that with no notes, but uh, anyway, no so no notes. I can, I can do I, I can talk all of Magic. That's the podcast version of No Filter. That's right. That's absolutely right. Uh, so this was recorded over three different nights, November 17th, 18th, and 19th of 2006 at the Point Theater in Dublin, Ireland on the Seeger Sessions Band Tour. With Bruce Springsteen. Um, Not and Bruce Springsteen, but with Bruce Springsteen. So Bruce goes on a worldwide tour promoting We Shall Overcome, Colin the Seeger Sessions in 2006. And as part of it, he goes to Dublin. He does three nights in Dublin and records this. So the DVD clocks in at around two hours and 20 minutes. But I think we all know that a Bruce Springsteen concert is typically longer than that. In fact, the, the CD... The, the two disc CDs offer more songs than the DVD does, which tells you the DVD was obviously edited down so it could be broadcast on TV. PBS actually aired it. Um, in fact, archived recordings from these shows were just released in February of this year, weirdly enough. And they included some, there were some bonus tracks that were just very recently released, which included Bobby Jean, The Ghost of Tom Joe, Johnny 99, For You, and My City of Ruins, which are nowhere on the DVD or the original box set. So, um, concert. Yeah, so we, and I mean it's three nights, and as as we all know, like a Bruce Springsteen concert, first of all, goes longer than two hours and twenty minutes generally, but also that he doesn't play the same show every night. So probably there are even more songs that he performed over those three nights that we still haven't heard, and maybe those right. were released in a like a bootleg or something like that at some point. Who knows? But uh, and I do know that you can go back and listen to. There's at least one bootleg from the. Um, from Jazz Fest of 2006, which is the first time he played any of this material live. And he, I, I think there's, there are a couple of things on there that are not on Live in Dublin. So, like, he, he was prepared to play a lot more than what we see. Like, it wasn't just – and the reason I say that is because it would be easy because this is such a specific arrangement with a, such a specific group of musicians. It would be easy to assume, like, maybe just this one time they crafted a single show from start to finish and just did the same thing every night. And clearly that is not what they did. Like, Bruce Springsteen continues to be Bruce Springsteen and does not – Bruce gains no enjoyment from doing the same show every single night. In fact, the only time he even came close to that was in 2016 on the River Tour. And by the time he got done with the first leg of the River Tour, he said, "Okay, when we go to Europe, I'm done doing the same set every night. We're not we're we're, we're shuffling the deck. I can't I can't live like this." Basically, so we know we, we know that what you hear on Live in Dublin was not the only version of this show that was touring. You know? Yeah. So yeah, that that's that's what we got. Jamie, did you watch the DVD or did you just listen to the CDs? How did, how how did you experience Live in Dublin? I've just listened to the CDs. I don't have you, have you ever seen the, the DVD or the, I don't think I have. the film? I have. I've listened to the CDs. Exo- like I've, I've worn them out, but I don't think I've seen the DVD. The I'm D- way behind on a lot of, I don't watch, I don't, yeah, I just don't watch enough. I, I've, I've watched it a few times. I watched it, I, I watched it fresh just last week and man, it's, it's so good, man. I, I really, I really wish I could have been at one of these shows. I, when I the very first time I ever saw Bruce Springsteen, I can't tell, stop me if I told the story last week. But the first time I ever saw Bruce Springsteen, I was standing in line to get into the American Airlines Center in Dallas, and there was a guy or two guys standing behind me, or uh, Caroline and me, and they were just telling stories about like all the other times they've ever seen Bruce Springsteen, which of course is what you talk about when you're standing in line at a Bruce Springsteen show. And yeah. I was just eavesdropping because I'm like it's my first Bruce Springsteen concert, and so I'm, I'm super interested. You're a creep. <laughs> Yes, but it's before I became a sycophant like I am now. But yeah. anyway, so I'm listening to these two guys talk, and one of the guys said that he had seen – like one guy says, so did you see the the Seeger Sessions tour, which had been the previous year, obviously. So Because this is my, – my first time seeing Bruce Springsteen was on the Magic Tour. And the guy said, yeah, I did. And, and the other guy was like, well, how was it? Did you I, – I missed it. I didn't really want to go. So what was it like? And the guy said – you know, honestly, I didn't want to go either. I wasn't excited at all about seeing the material, but I couldn't just not go see Bruce Springsteen when he came through town. And so I sort of begrudgingly was like, okay, I know it's just it's going to be a different band. It's going to be weird arrangements of songs that I don't really care that much about. It's going to be a bunch of cover songs of, like, Pete Seeger songs. And he said, I just didn't expect anything. I, I was I, I, My expectations were so low. And he said, by the end of the night, I felt like I had the most profound religious experience I had ever had in my entire life. <laughs> yeah, I bet. Yeah. And I'm listening to that, and I'm thinking, well, first of all, and again, I'd never seen Bruce Springsteen live when I was hearing that story, and I thought, like, wow, that's that is high praise. And now, having gone back and watched the DVD a couple of times, and having listened to it, and having seen Bruce live in other settings, 
I can safely assume like that guy was probably right. <laughs> you know, like that. Um, I, I'm not at all surprised now thinking back on having like eavesdropped on that conversation. So when you listen to it, JB, do you, d- does that sort of come across to you? Do you feel like you're listening in on a profound experience? I do. Why? I very much do. It's just like, uh, it feels like church, the choir, the way the choir interacts, yeah. the sort of joyful improv- improvisational nature of the musicians sort of gives it that feeling too, you know, sort of that like revival spirit. Uh, I'm Yeah, I'm just kind of wild about it that way. And I think it feels pretty live. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to go out on a limb and this may be controversial to say, I, I think this is my favorite live release of Bruce's. And he, and, and I mean, we're talking like he, he's put out some iconic live material, like the 75 to 85 box, box set live in New York. I mentioned a few others already, but there, there's something unique and special about this. And this is, yeah. it, I, and again, like it transcends the thing that it's promoting. Like this whole thing was created as a promotional material, as a piece of promotional material for We Shall Overcome the Seeker Sessions. And I think, and I mentioned this last week, I think the reason Bruce decided this needed to exist, not just because it needs to, there needs to be a time capsule of this one particular tour with this one particular group of musicians, but also because this is these are better versions of the songs from the Seeker Sessions. Yeah. You know? We'll just think about, this is such a great band, and Bruce uh, and, you know, some of his folks, you know, Susie, um, are, are really, they haven't been playing with this band and they haven't been playing together for a long time when they record the record. No, yeah. And so then right. they tour on it some, and then they get to record, you know, sort of, this is them hitting their groove. This is them after they understand what each other can do. Yeah, I think that's right. Well, and also, um, I, I read a, a review of the, the Jazz Fest show that he did when he first, like, the very first time he ever played in front of a, a live audience with this material yeah. was at Jazz Fest in New Orleans. And according to like sources backstage, like Bruce was really nervous and he didn't like he did not trust himself to do really well in that one particular context. I think Jazz Fest specifically was really intimidating for him. And also, apparently, like it took a couple of songs for the crowd to sort of embrace what they were doing. At Jazz Fest, yeah, you know, like, and not because they weren't into the style, but it was they, it was more a skepticism about like, wait, the born in the USA guy is gonna come down here and do like, like jazzy folk music, like what? You know, I, I think yeah. it was skepticism about whether or not Bruce Springsteen was going to be able to do, to do Jazz Fest, you know, and, well, and I, I think gotta he felt say, that. I gotta say, Jazz Fest is hot. It is hot, and post Katrina Jazz Fest is even hotter. And so the crowds, a lot of times, like are just tired and hot. <laughs> yeah, and I guess that's true. It was that's an, it, it, it's an outdoor like, covered show that he did. It's in, not in co- the middle oh, of the he's day. covered, but the crowd's not. Oh, okay, I see. Yeah, all Have the all the photos it? make it look covered, but um, oh, really? Yeah, but I, I mean, like, it's was... possible that the photographer was just in a in a spot where it just looks like it's covered. What was it, 2006 or seven? Uh, six, 2000. It, it would have been Jazz Fest 2006. I'm curious about Which, if this. I'm not mistaken, is the first Jazz Fest post-Katrina. Yeah. No, 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 no. The stage is covered. Okay. Yeah, all, kind of I, all I had to go like on was the photos. It makes it look like it's a tent. You need to watch it, man. It's great. I will. Well, and I know some Jazz Fest things at night specifically are, like, indoors, but um, that wasn't. Like, I know that, like, the, the Dr. John tri- tribute that he did was indoors and that was technically okay. during jazz fest. But, but I realized that most of jazz fest is like during the day outside. And like you said, yeah. it's hot and they're performing. It's, it's Bruce with a new group of musicians in front of a crowd that doesn't necessarily just, and again, it, because it's a jazz fest and not at a Bruce Springsteen concert, it's not a bunch of people who bought tickets and camped out all day to get in the pit. This is, these are jazz fest. These are people with like wristbands who have 10 other choices and they're just like, yeah, it's very possible. Music fans, not yeah, fans. exactly. And and Bruce knows that, and so he I I think it took him a little while to feel comfortable with this material. So by the time they get to Dublin, man, they've they've gone, they've crossed the Rubicon of like we we survived Jazz Fest and we won the crowd over. You know what I mean? So there's a lot of confidence that's been built up among this group of musicians by the time they get to Dublin, and you can sort of hear it. You know? Yeah, it's killer. Yeah, it's it's awesome. I wish honestly it I there's a part of me that wishes I could just do away with 
the Secret Session Studio album and count this and instead. Just keep this. And yeah, and and that way I could rank this among like my favorite albums, you know, because I yeah, it, it would come close. I really really love this. Yeah. Well, it's and also great. There, there's not as much fat on, even though it's longer. There's not as much fat on the bone on this as there is in yeah. the Secret Session. Like we we talked last time about like Froggy Went a Courtin and right. Buffalo Gap. Like you don't need all that. You, I mean, th- this gets so much closer to what I think Bruce was trying to do, which probably is another reason why it exists in the first place. And there's tons of like well thought out um, originals redone, reimagined. Yeah, we need to talk about those too. And, and we've got a few on the list here. In fact, do you want to go ahead and get into the track by track and we can talk about Let's get into it, dude. Let's, let's kick it off with track one, Atlantic City. Okay, hold on. Before we do that, I'm going to, a couple of disclaimers. First, I'm not going to do audio drops. I've been trying to do audio drops since we did The Rising. Uh, I'm not going to this time, first of all, because we've already covered a lot of these songs just in different formats. And second of all, because we're recording it close enough to the publishing day that I don't have time to to do the audio drop. So that's disclaimer number one. Disclaimer number two is we're not talking about every single song. We're going to not unlike what we did with the 75 to 85 box set. JB and I exchanged a list of songs. We each picked five. And then we but we decided, like, well, we'll also include the opening track just for posterity. So we're only talking about 11 of the like 20 plus songs that are a part of this whole thing. So anyway, that's the disclaimer. Now, track one, like you said, Atlantic City. Yeah, this is a uh, super nice reimagining, sort of like an eerie mandolin situation going on in the background. It's just nice. Ab- yeah, I was going to say, how do you feel as a version of Atlantic City? How do you feel about this? Um, I mean, I like it. I don't uh, like it. I mean, I like the his original. I like the Nebraska and the band's versions better. Yeah, but I but I don't dislike this one. You know, it's just like if those are A plus and A minus, this is a B plus. Like that's good. Yeah, I have the same sort of thought, which is like I I like this as a song. I don't like this as a version of Atlantic City. Atlantic City is one of my favorite Bruce Springsteen songs. I have there's a like you said there's a special place in my heart for exactly how it's arranged when either Bruce or the band does it and then yeah this version you, of it, you, a lot of people don't know this you have an actually like a an exploding chicken tattooed on your chest i do i do yeah because I, I blew up the chicken man in philly last night yeah that's, that's a reference to uh, atlantic city yeah so so i i have a, this opening track is so confusing to my brain because i if, if you just stopped calling it atlantic city I'd be like, this is great. I love this. But that I have to think about this as a version of Atlantic City. My brain just, it's it's like, no, I I can't do that kind of math. (laughs) You know what I mean? And so so I I have the weirdest relationship with this version of the song because I both hate it and love it at the same time. Does that make any sense? Yeah. And I wonder if that's that's partially intentional. Because if this, by the way, this is a really gutsy way for Bruce to open this show because people have bought tickets to a Bruce Springsteen concert. So there's probably like the guy behind me in line, there's probably an assumption like, well, at least he'll probably do a few original songs. You know, he can't just do the Seeger songs. And so he comes out right out of the gate, does Atlantic City, one of his most famous, iconic, longtime beloved songs. And he does it, but he does it in a way that no one is going to recognize it. And probably most longtime fans are going to have a similar reaction to me, which is like, what the hell am I listening to? Is yeah. this Atlantic City? You know what I mean? Well, and this, like the next track, have, and I don't know if you're ready to transition yet, so if not, fine, but if so, this is this will be a great way. This track, like the next track, aren't necessarily great, but it has like this really good uh, like musical element. Like this track has that big electric hollow body. Yeah. You know, like hardtop hollow body guitar solo. Um, that finger picking, it's so good. And then, and old Dan Tucker has that incredible, incredible lap steel guitar solo. Yeah, and he he does uh, he transitions out of Atlantic City into Old Dan Tucker. Um, yeah, which is not even on our list, but it, it is interesting to sort of think about it in that transitional, like you said, like the the musical similarities. It it almost does feel like he he rearranged Atlantic City so that it would more seamlessly flow into Old Dan Tucker. You know. Yeah. Um, I will say I, I've been I spent a lot of time thinking about this. Probably a lot more time than it deserves, but. I thought, like, what of all the ways you could have started this show? Why did you do it this way? And I think, I, I really think he did it. I mean, there, there, you could make a couple of arguments, but I, I think it was a way of Bruce trying to, like, trying to tie his own work back into the work of Pete Seeger. So it was basically a way yeah. of him saying, I've been trying to follow in Pete Seeger's footsteps for a really long time, even though maybe a lot of my longtime fans don't re- like directly recognize that. So I'm going to open with a song 
that in a different way that everybody knows as a way of demonstrating that, as a way of sort of bridging the gap between my work and the work of Pete Seeger. You know what I mean? And also yeah. as a way of kind of signaling to the crowd, like even the stuff you want to hear, you may not get that stuff in the way that you're expecting to. And just doing Atlantic City in this way sort of checks off a bunch of boxes. Yeah, it says, hey, look, you're gonna. This is gonna be a little familiar, so don't worry. But also, it, it's gonna be pretty different too. So yeah, don't get too comfortable. Yeah, it's exactly. It's it's so yeah. It does sort of have this weird ring of like familiar and unfamiliar, and a thing that I like and a thing that I don't know if I can like in in exactly yeah. the way that it is presented. So it, it's an inter- It's a really interesting way of of kind of entering into this type of show. So yeah. so then you mentioned it transitions into Old Dan Tucker, which we talked about a lot last week. I have a harder time. This version of Old Dan Tucker, when I'm watching the DVD, uh, is harder for me to watch because it's there's like a bunch of African-American musicians on the stage with him. And it's very difficult for me to watch uh, a white band leader kind of make a bunch of African-American musicians who work for him sing a song sing about blackface. Yeah. You know what I mean? And so that to me, that is it's harder for me to watch it than it is for me to listen to it because it's like, God, like I can only imagine that there are some musicians on the stage who are like, I cannot believe this white man is making me sing this song. And I know yeah. I have to do it because it's part of my job. And, and it, it transitions well, out of that into, let's say, Oh, go ahead. Oh yeah. Go ahead. No, go ahead. Let's I was gonna say, and I realize like that. we're going off script a little bit, but I, I, I made note of the fact that, it transitions out of old Dan Tucker into eyes on the prize, which is a civil rights song. So it is this interesting sort of journey from like slave era blackface song into civil rights freedom song in one, like in one move. But at the same yeah. time, I'm like, man, that doesn't make it okay that you did old Dan Tucker, you know? And so I'm, I'm I, I hate to just like keep that in my craw, but it, it is a thing that I cannot stop thinking about when I was watching it anyway. Yeah. Then, well, and we said last week this record is all written from the perspective of people of like the of the the stepped on class. Yeah, the the people who are who are promised things to be trickled down to, and so that's you know that's a, the ugly black and white of it to be literal. It's not you know he's not trying to make a clean record. <laughs> but Old Dan Tucker wasn't uh, written by the oppressed; it was written by the oppressor. I guess so, but like those shows were attended by ignorant white working class people yeah you know what i mean it's it's propaganda i mean it's it would be basically like being like writing a song from the perspective of fox news today you know like so right i'm not saying it's right i'm just saying it is a point it is in line with the point he's trying to make whether he's doing it correctly or not yeah i would argue he's not in fact Lori and i had a really interesting email discussion about this which transitioned into a conversation about the song the night they drove all dixie down which is a lament for the oh. confederacy and uh, also yeah. deeply problematic and like i'm not sure i want to like spend time inside this perspective that said right. musically i like i have a hard time resisting that song but at the same time like lyrically i'm like screw the confederate that the song is about you know what i mean and so it's yeah. all you know it, so it's all sort of like wrapped up together in white supremacy and folk music yeah. and you know so it's it, anyway it's, it's hard for me to untangle all that stuff especially when i'm watching again when i'm watching a white american musician like have african-american musicians who work for him sing a blackface song you know like that yeah no for sure for that sure. feels that feels super gross and i wish bruce hadn't done it anyway so yeah that doesn't mean i'm gonna stop being a fan obviously no. i can't i can't cancel I, I wish i could quit bruce but i can't so anyway let's so no, the next thing on our no i don't so you wouldn't quit bruce if somebody paid you yeah that'd be that'd be a hard i gotta tell you man the, the day the day a terrible unforgivable story about bruce springsteen comes out is the day that i just give up on everything so i'm yeah i'm hanging on i'm hanging on by a thread so anyway the next song that we actually have in our outline i realize we just got way off the the path here, but I'll, I'll try and steer us back, uh, is Jesse James. And the only reason I have this on the list is I, this is, I love this version. Banjo, baby. It's the banjo is crazy. Good. I saw him do this live in Houston in 2014 and I've loved this song ever since. It's this to me is so much fun. I don't even care. Well, it, this feels like a song about Jesse James sung around a campfire. You know, this feels like the way that story was probably told. Yeah. Well, and you get to the part where it says Robert Ford, it was a fat fact. He shot Jesse in the back and like, 10 vocalists all lean into a microphone and all shout he shot Jesse in the back and you're right it does it feels like a it feels like a campfire song it feels like everybody's everybody's participating this is a song about all of or it, about all of us it's a song where yeah. all of us are invited to to join in you know 
Yeah. And I mean, by the time he's done singing, like on the album version, I'm like, okay, this is an Americana song. On the live version, I'm like, I'm kind of in the Jesse James was a great man like cult at this point, which is obviously, like we said last week, like not necessarily historically accurate. But by the end of this version of the song, I'm like, man, Robert Ford, I hate that guy. Yeah. You Damn know, coward. screw Robert Ford. <laughs> Robert Ford, you chicken shit coward. That's right. <laughs> Jesse, he had a head and a heart and a brain. Hand and yeah. Brain. Anyway, um, and I it, think it, some of that is pulled from the book. I, the it would not page. at all surprise me. I think some of that's the first page of that book is one of the most beautiful. I said this last week. It's one of the most beautiful lists I've ever read. Um, yeah, it's a fun song. I love it. I do too. And like I said, and like I, all the harmonies are in stereo. Like it really is around a campfire. And that that to me is what makes this great. Like so far, one by the time we've gotten to track four. Live in Dublin has not become the thing that I love, but by the end of track four, I'm like, I am in like, try it, t- it, it, it takes me to get to Jesse James for me to like fully invest in what this album is doing. But it, I, I don't let go after that. Yeah. So, I mean, it's super fun and it gets bigger and there's a big fiddle and people still join in and it's just tambourine banjo and snare all the way through just country punk, dude. Yeah. Cow it, punk. It is excellent. I, it, if there was a whole album of just stuff like I realize like live in Dublin is as close as we're going to get, but of like the Jesse James energy level of what Bruce is trying to do with the secret sessions, that's that would end up being my favorite or one of my favorite Bruce Springsteen albums. It's just incredibly good. Do you so, know what do you know the best part and most underrated part of this record is what the accordion, the accordion is great. Oh, I, I'm so glad you said that the accordion is played by Charlie Giordano. And this is the first. This is the first tour that Charlie Giordano would join Bruce Springsteen on, on a tour. And Charlie Giordano, yeah. for those who don't know, is the guy who replaces Danny Federici as accordion and organ player after Danny um, has to leave the Magic tour because he's um, he he has a terminal cancer diagnosis. And so Charlie yeah. Giordano becomes the guy who who replaces Danny Federici in the E Street band after that. So this is the and the accordion here is the first time we hear Charlie Giordano ever with a Bruce Springsteen recording. So it's a very big deal. I mean, I'm glad you pointed shines. that out. He does. He's great. He he totally justifies his own presence in the world of Bruce Springsteen. Yeah. And I misspoke earlier. I said old Dan Tucker was lap steel. It's pedal steel though. Lap steel's on Jesse James. Um hmm. it's so good. Excellent. Good good catch on the accordion. Yeah. I, I do love the accordion on this album. Yeah, it's all throughout the record. It just absolutely it doesn't shine because it's so well mixed in, you know. It just like it's playing rhythm guitar, but it has these moments where you're just like, wow. You know? Absolutely. It just feels like somebody somebody's playing so it's like, is that is that somebody playing organ and eating meatballs right now? <laughs> so good. Well, and it's funny too. Sorry, like was, if you see him from 100 that yards, racist. that was white racist, wasn't it? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. It's fine. Um, was it? I don't know. Well, now I, I don't think know. It's funny. Can we proceed without a, an official like statement on that? Oh yeah, for sure. Okay, I will say though, if you see Charlie Giordano from a hundred yards away, he looks exactly like Roy Bitton. He's just—he's a bald guy with glasses who wears all black. Oh, and he yeah. plays. He sits at a piano. Like like Bruce has a type when it comes to his favorite piano players. Yeah. So uh, yeah, it is. It, like again, from There's far the, away, he if could you be select them in a the video game. The only option to customize the character is driver's cap or no driver's cap. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, then the next thing on our list is, this is one you added to the list, which is Oh, Mary, Don't You Weep, which is track six. I don't think it's, like, wildly different. It's way more upbeat, for sure, than the other version. But I just, when I think of Live in Dublin, I get this song stuck in my head. It's it's more alive. Yeah, and that piano is just a little more sultry. You know, just like, um, it. you know, it just kind of feels like a little bit like New Orleans. You know, it's like... um, you can get away with a little more like you can get away with a little more uh, in a church in New Orleans than you can, you know, maybe up the road. (laughs) And that's what this feels like. It's like a holy song. That's just a little bit more sultry, you know? Yeah. Like I hadn't really thought about it in those terms, but it is, it's like sexy gospel music. Mm, The best, the best kind of gospel music. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It's excellent. Uh, That would later be popularized by John legend. (laughs) Is that right? Does John Legend have a version of this song? No, I, he, I think he does some sexy gospel music. Oh, like sexy gospel music is a John Legend thing. Sure. Yeah. Um, I will say uh, so- something 
not not about the song necessarily, but like we're probably going to spend more time talking about like the live dynamics and the and the sonic qualities of this versus the theme of each song. First of all, because we did that already a couple of times now. Yeah. Um, but also like the thing that Last makes live and done, and also probably another week, some point in our podcast, and then also on an original episode in the uh, alphabetical part in season one. So yeah, that, there's yeah. lots of opportunities to get our lyrical breakdowns and all that stuff. Ratings. Yes. So we're we mostly talking about. Yeah. Basically, this is how badass is the live version of this song. Yeah, <laughs> and I mean, really, that, that is sort of the of theme of this al- episode. Be, yes. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, man, so talk to me. So you picked this. So, like, sultry gospel music. So, like, what, like, are, are there other things that this sort of, like, draws out of you? Or are there, are there things? I mean, that... the, like, the trombone in the right ear and the, and the accordion in the left ear mm-hmm. is just awesome. Um, you know, the drums just bring a lot of energy to it. It's like a clarinet solo. There's just all kinds of stuff going on, you know? Yeah. It just feels like you're up to no good uh, on your way to comfort someone after a funeral <laughs> at night, you, you know, underneath a gas lamp <laughs> mm. on a cobblestone street. I don't know. It just makes me feel like a, you know, kid in New Orleans in the 20s. I will say when you when you watch the the film – of this, one of the things that you sort of see, like Bruce is such a natural collaborator. I realize like he's sort of known as being like a singular vision guy and he's a, he's the boss capital B. But at the same time, if you watch him perform live, he really has a high regard for the people he brings on stage with him. And so one of the oh, things yeah. that you sort of see is like th- there, there is a moment where he highlights Charlie Giordano on the accordion. There's another moment where he like, th- there's the guy we mentioned before playing the banjo. There's a point at which like Bruce like goes over to him and they've been on tour for a while at this point. And Bruce puts his hand in the middle of the guy's back. And he sort of like very slowly ushers the guy to the front of the stage. Like, no, I mean, you don't understand. We're like, I'm a rock star and I'm going to tell you how to do a, like a banjo solo. You go stand at the lip yeah. of the stage and you act like you're Eddie goddamn Van Halen with that banjo and and you make that you you make that sucker sing, son. And uh and so he he does a good job of spotlighting everybody else who's on the stage, not just as performative, yeah. but like like look, we we assembled this group of musicians for a reason. Let's let's like take them out for a spin. Let's see, you know, let's show you guys what what they can all do. And so all that to say, like what you're pointing out here with Mary Don't You Weep is like there there are these certain points where something shows up in one channel or the other. And when you watch the film, you're like, oh, this is the the moment where Bruce like turns the stage over for about 30 seconds to one of these guys, you know? Yeah. And he does it for a lot, a lot of people, like trumpet player, just like a brassy trumpet. And yeah, there's a lot of, there's a, there's a lot of people solos. in this band. <laughs> um, trombone is featured all throughout it. Um, I, so we're going to, our bonus episode today is our favorite um, musical films or concert films. Concert films, yeah. And um, so that's for in the patron feed today. And I'm going to talk about a band called Wolfpack that does that same thing you're talking about where they're just like so in love with each other person in the band's playing. Yeah. Um, it's great. Yeah. That really, that, you that see makes bands a big difference. shine when they, yeah, that's when they shine. Yeah. Well then let's get into, uh, the next thing, which is track 10. We're skipping down to highway patrolman. Highway patrolman, man. This is another, uh, really well thought out original rethought out original. This, th- I, I would, I'll, I'm going to go out and I'm going to argue that this is my favorite, a, like Bruce Springsteen original reinterpreted for this tour. I okay. Re, uh, I, in fact, I'm going to go so far as to say this is my favorite version of this song. And I'm on record. I'm, I'm on record a few times as saying Highway Patrolman is one of my, is probably my second favorite song on Nebraska. I love Highway Patrolman. This version of Highway Patrolman is so, so good. Yeah. And I don't know if it's because of the arrangement. I don't know if it's because the band is like coming together for this in one specific way. Or if it's just because like there are just not that many live versions of Highway Patrolman and I wish there were more. Whatever it is. It's because of that that just beautiful classic Willie Nelson pedal steel in the middle, smack dab in the middle of the song. That makes a big difference. That, that's why you love it more. Well, and the thing about Highway Patrol, like there's a, there's a recurring scene in Highway Patrolman, which is basically like a, a, a town dance, like where like he talks about like you, taking turns dancing with Maria as the band plays Night of the Johnstown Flood. So you imagine sort of like this this community event where everybody's like dancing and having a good time and it's lighthearted, and like this band sort of creates that atmosphere. You know what I mean? And in a way, because every almost every other version of Highway Patrolman I've ever heard has just been Bruce acoustic. And this is one of the only times you get a full band version of Highway Patrolman. And the way this particular band interprets the song and brings that atmosphere to life. Like, I feel like we're at that one event. I, I feel like I'm sitting there watching 
Joe Roberts and Frankie take turns dancing with Maria. You know, I, I feel like I'm yeah. in that space. And it's it's really special and it's really beautiful. This is, again, like if I could only have one version of Highway Patrolman just to keep in my iTunes forever, it would have to be this version of it. This, this version gets me every single time. Yeah. And the uh, man, when it goes acapella, but with like uh, just the hi-hat counting time with everybody harmonizing in the background. Yeah, the harmonies the back, are great. Like on the back quarter. That's so good. Yeah, well, on the me and Frankie, when everybody sort of comes in, and again, I mean that, that's that's one of the things that makes this album special is it does it feels like it, it feels like a group of people singing songs. Yeah. Um, and then yeah, we, and then we get down to track twelve, which is another one that I, I was on my list, which is how can a poor man stand such times and live? I don't really have much new to offer that I didn't already say last week. I I like Bruce's addition, like I like how Bruce has taken the song and rewritten it in a way that makes it about uh, Hurricane Katrina. I yeah I love I mean this is one of the few times in the show where he kind of like brings it down and makes it a little bit more contemplative but he does it in a way that still feels communal and um it's it's just it, it's really good and it it is one uh where the, the backup singers do a lot of the work for him which I appreciate and the again the the line reading where he says them who got got out of town them who ain't got left to drown and uh just the 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 division between who has resources and who doesn't and who, who is expendable and who isn't and continues yeah. to just really ring true, ring true to what we're going through right now, quite frankly, with the pandemic. So, uh, this, yeah, this and, is the best version oh, of the song. Such a good version. Yeah. And just the tuba bouncing out, just a sweet ass baseline. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. Another thing we hadn't mentioned yet was the, oh. there's a, there's a freaking tuba on the stage. Mm. Yeah. It's so good. The background vocals, the horn section, the drums, some guitar solo. Yeah. Oh, and I love the way the horns like uh, background sing to the guitar solo or the, the slide guitar. You mm-hmm. know, it's like, meow, meow, and then they're just like, bah, bah, nah, nah. it's just like call and response. Anyway, sorry. This is a great song. Yeah. No, don't be sorry. That's, that's what we're here to talk about. And then uh, yeah. jump down a couple This more. reminds me of the song Bored in the USA by Father John Misty. And I might have said that last week, too. You did. Yes. Still good though. Still good. Um Or I should say Born in the USA reminds me of this. <laughs> well, and then we have uh jumped down to track fourteen, which is long time coming. And I, I wanted to include this just because we get so few opportunities to talk about live cuts of Devils and Dust songs that it felt appropriate to to bring this in. Cause and, and maybe that's that's part of why I respond so strongly to Highway Patrolman as well, which is there we just have so few opportunities to hear these songs done with a band live. And um, as uh, um, in contrast to like Atlantic city where there are, you know, there's dozens of live cuts of, of that song out there. So like, I have a lot more to compare those things to versus yeah. this and highway patrolman and, and long time coming, which there, there just aren't like he, he, the devils and dust material has largely been ignored by Bruce in the post yeah. devils and dust era at, at live so shows. Sad, it's so good. It really is. And I understand like a lot of it just does not translate to like a, like an East street band show. This song does that. Right. The song is, is lively. It's good. It's ca- it, it like moves at a, at a pretty steady clip. And yeah. to hear this band do this song is perfect. In fact, there's a part of me, like every time I hear this version of the song, there's a part of me. It's like, I wish just for one night, the, the Sessions band would have been like, we're going to do all of Devils and Dust top to bottom. You oh, know? gosh. That would have been amazing. I would have yeah. loved that so much, and they just didn't do it. But we have this one song. And so we, we can listen to this one song and think like, okay, we get a little taste of what that might have been like. And that is The strings are great. so beautiful in this song, too. Yeah, they are. Yeah, this And song, the pedal steel, of course. It shines all throughout. But This song feels like it was written for this band to perform, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. Like you said, with the pedal steel, oh, so good. In the just the arrangement, and in the back again, the the background vocals, which is not a thing you get on Devils and Dust material. Devils and Dust material is very much a Bruce Springsteen solo project. Well, I mean, I say there's a couple of points where you hear like Patty and Susie in the background, but but for the most part, it like those aren't highlighted in a way that like the chorus of singers that you hear here during the chorus, where it's like that when it hits Long Time Coming, it, again, it feels communal. It feels like a campfire. It's incredible. All right, so Bruce Springsteen and the Sessions Band are going to come to Tootsie's and play Devils and Dust top to bottom. Mm-hmm. How much do you pay for that ticket? I mean, whatever the scalper's asking. 
<laughs> at this point. Like, uh, I don't know. That's a good I know question. it's a country bar, but I don't know if you've ever seen anybody else there. But like, it's a great sound in space. Do I have to stand up? That's a big question. Yeah, you do. Oh god. But they have like bar tables all around. I saw local natives there, and it was incredible. I got to tell you, one of the things post pandemic I'm going to have to work on is like rebuilding my leg muscles. I went for a walk around my neighborhood yesterday just because like, oh, gosh. Yeah, I feel like my, my legs have atrophied. I'm like one of the character, one of the human characters at the end of the movie, Wally. Like, <laughs> I think about that so much right now. Yeah. dude. So I live at the top of Tupelo. So like it's easy to leave my house, but it's hard as hell to get home. <laughs> <laughs> it's a hill every way. You, any way you cut it. Yeah, man. And that's what it's going to be like every time I leave my house, after, like post-pandemic. Just like, why am I winded? I'm like, I'm just pumping gas. Why is this Why is this yeah. so hard on my legs? So I, uh, yeah, I, it, all, all that to say, like, if I have to pay for a ticket and I have to stand up the whole time, I, I'm going to need some time before I'm ready to do that again. So You got a mechanical bull, though. Well, that doesn't help me. That takes more leg muscle. Have you really never been to a show at Tootsie's? I don't know what is that in Mississippi? No, it's in Dallas. I don't know that venue. It's like the it's like the swing dancing club. Oh man, I've, I've from been... Electric Cowboy. No, sorry. I mean, I'm on the Fort Worth side, so we we go to Billy Bob's. Oh, Billy Bob's Texas, huh? Yeah, you know it. I say we people on the Fort Worth side go to Billy Bob's. I do not go to Billy yeah. Bob's, but but we've all got a kid's picture there. Yeah, yeah, uh, right. Isn't that the place? It's uh, not important. Anyway, pay yeah. me my money down. That's the next song we're going to talk. Yeah, about. the next song we're, we're going to jump down to track sixteen. Pay me my money down. This is on yours. This uh, on the on the DVD. This is the main set closer. This is Br- Bruce and the band. They they finish this song off. They leave, and then they come back to do the encore. So, dude, this song was made for them to play this live with the crowd yelling. Yeah, yeah, and it, it uh-huh. comes it comes alive when you hear them do it, doesn't it? It's so perfect. Tell me why you picked it. I mean, that yeah, just the, everyone shouting. The whole crowd shouting, pay me or go to jail. Yeah. You know, and like getting on pitch there, you know, and then the band coming in and drowning out the crowd, and then the, the crowd coming up to battle with the band again to shout the lyrics. And it's just such a beautiful, like a great, raucous song. Yeah, it is. Know? Well, and it's such a perfect, like, again, like Jazz Fest style song too, right? Like it, it sounds. Yeah, and especially like 2006 Jazz Fest. And especially, uh, you know, you got like, how can a poor man stand such times as these to live? You know, similarly, is got that like, you know, what, what do you want? You know, like, I can't live or you have to pay me. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, uh, I don't know. It's just great. So on the DVD, something I'd never noticed before until this most recent watch like when they leave to do the encore, the camera stays with Bruce as he goes backstage and Bruce never actually leaves the stage. He stand, he leans on like the, like one of the organs and like a stack of amplifiers. And he just like continues to like play. He continues to play the, on his guitar while the, the while the crowd continues to sing the chorus, while the crowd continues to sing, pay me oh, wow. down. And then he comes back out and that, that's pretty cool. I'd never been, I, I'd never gotten an, uh, an eye, like a good view of that side of it. I always just assumed they leave the stage, they go like change their shirts or like get a drink of water. And Bruce never actually leaves the stage. He just sort of like disappears into the wings yeah. for a couple of seconds and then comes back by himself. Right. And it was, is it Guster that they hate encore so much? They're like, look, we're going to play four more songs than we were going to play. And then y'all are going to yell insults at us and we're just going to leave. Oh, I don't <laughs> Instead know. Instead of doing an encore. Guster They're like, we that? want it all. Like you suck. And <laughs> yeah, I think it's Guster. It is so interesting. The encore has become such like an unwritten agreement between every performer and every audience that we just know, like we're going to clap. Yeah. And, and I think there is still among certain concert goers, like if I don't clap loud enough, they'll just won't not come back. Like, I promise you they like, if everyone stopped clapping, they're, they're, st- they're going to come back out. They're going to, cause they're, there's like the three songs that they're most known for doing that they still haven't done yet. They're going to come back. Yeah. And I do love there's that some bands are just like, they're going to clap and skip. Yeah. And some bands have just like totally got, like you said, like like Guster or whatever, has like done away with the pretense. I mean, like, look, we all know what's going on here, right? Like, in fact, I, yeah. I noticed on the River Tour, Bruce doesn't leave the stage either at this point. Like, Bruce has gotten to the point where the band leaves the stage, and that's when Bruce does his whole spiel about the food bank. And then he'll do yeah. an acoustic song, and then the band will come back out. Like, Bruce has all but done away with the pretense of the encore as well. Yeah. Anyway, so they, so yeah, they, they go off, they pay me my money down, they come back out. 
And then we go to track 17, which is Growing Up. Oh, man. And this this was one of yours. Why, why did you pick this to, to discuss? It's just another really great reimagining of one of my absolute favorite songs of all time. Yeah. That, uh, that we, and the crowd. Yeah. Really joining in on it, you know. That's just sweet. How do you think he decided to do this one? Like, I, this is something that I've been really curious about since we started thinking about this episode, which is, how does he decide which of his original songs to include? You know, I don't know, but it feels right. You know? Yeah. Well, and like I said, like there's, there's more that just didn't end up on the, the, um, the final cut, like Bobby Jean and Johnny 99 and for you. But, um, it, I, I don't know. It's interesting. Like which ones he picked to, to do. Cause all of these required a new arrangement. So it's not like he was, it's not like with the Eastry band where you can just like call it out and they'll just do it. Like there's, like horn players and stuff like they have to have an arrangement before they start it. So yeah. like every single ch- song, every single original, they had to rehearse and they had to spend time thinking through like, okay, what would a jazz fest version of this song do? What, what would this band sound like doing this particular song? So growing up. Yeah. And then growing up's got such a, like so much more melodically imagined than he did when he, when he wrote it as a young man, you know, there's, there's just so much more melody and ex- exploration in this version. I don't like it more than the original. The original is like one of my top 10 favorite songs of all time. Yeah. I'm just saying that um, it's some, it's cool to hear him as an older man talk like saying reimagine growing up and it's less dreading, you know, it's less of like a angsty, like I got through it and it's more of like a, it's more happy and reminiscent, you know? Yeah. Yeah, it is. And, and I love and the I- melody. It, it's really good, and I, I like the arrangement of it. I, th- I think this band sounds just, and, and it's, it's unlike, not unlike with Atlantic City. It, this is unlike every other version of this song we've ever heard. I like this a lot more than I like Atlantic City, though. And I, I don't know, I don't know why. I don't I, maybe because the Atlantic City melody is so like, <laughs> like in, set in stone in my brain because it's such a specific yeah. kind of melody. And growing up, because there's so many different versions of it that already exist, that maybe it's a little bit more. Um, malleable in my head but or maybe I just love because it. I this want is to better see him play this song i want to see him play this song with this band at green hall in texas that would be awesome wouldn't it yes um just I, I, like with 300 people i yeah man well, I, I would love to see right this now show. with just me right just go go for sound check and just sit in the i wouldn't go to green hall with like six people right now oh no no i'm done going to any place called hall like that's I'm all done with mm-hmm. those types of gatherings in general. Just I, I mean, until, I don't even go to the, until further all to the bathroom anymore. No, me neither. <laughs> yeah, I don't even use Hall's uh, cough drops just because the implication. <laughs> I won't do it. I quit listening to Halsey. Hall and Oates dead to me. <laughs> no chance. That's right. I she she may be a rich girl, but I won't know. I'm not listening. Anyway. I busted out some Hall and Oates to the teachers in my one-year-old's uh, daycare classroom the other day, and they were like, oh, it was great. Because <laughs> Austin had really gotten into dancing to Hall and Oates, so. Well, she could do a lot they worse. Said, uh, oh, she's been dancing. She's been dancing to, like, kids' music. And I was like, we don't play that in my house. <laughs> we were dancing to Hall and Oates. <laughs> that's right. Uh, that's right. We play kids' songs, too. I constantly have, can you do the whirly bird, stuck in my head because I watch the Wiggles all the time. And you know what? I like the Wiggles. And you know what? I can do the whirly bird, and I can do the belt buckle shine. I have no doubt that you can. Well, I mean, I bet you can do it a lot more efficiently now that you have a haircut. More aerodynamic. Jeez, dude. This haircut is... Look, when my barber got done, (laughs) she and I both, and she didn't say she was done. There was no, I didn't tell her what to do to my hair. I took my glasses off and I just said, do, I don't care. I, I mean, I know her well, so it wasn't like weird. Yeah. And, and like an hour later, I put my glasses on and she was like, what do you think? And we didn't, she didn't say she was done or anything. And we both just took a huge sigh of relief. <laughs> That's how you know you needed a haircut is when it was stressing your barber out. Yeah. Yeah. For anyway. sure. Uh, uh, next track yeah. it goes into it so sweetly. It just falls right on into when the saints go marching. And it just comes so quiet. Just, just a little finger picking on a, just finger pick arpeggios on a chord. Yeah. It's, do you like this version of uh, this song? 
I like the live version. Yeah, I, I tend to. I mean, I don't love it. I, I don't seek it out. But like, if I had been, this is one. I feel like this is one of those situations where I feel like if I'd been in the room, it would have been a very meaningful thing to me. But I wasn't. Yeah, you know what I mean. And so, like, listening to it, listening to the CD version of it does almost nothing for me. Watching it in the context of the rest of the show is better, but it doesn't move me in any sort of way. I'm not. I'm not like excited for it. It's just fine. You know. What about you? If I was asked to play any sort of event where I needed to, where I wanted to include this song in the set, I would probably play this version. Um, you know, if I was by myself, just the beginning, and then with the band, you know, don't they come in pretty? Yeah, just kind of slowly. Well, yeah, oh, and actually, you have the different vocalists, exactly sort of. Do yeah, yeah, that's exactly how I would do it. With like uh, the string band I have at church, that's I would I would do this version. That would be really nice. I, I do so yeah. yeah in theory I like this arrangement and I like the way they're performing it it just like I said it's this is one of those songs and and maybe because like this song is so ubiquitous like this song has been played so many times in so many places and so many versions like by the time it got to me in this version I was like I don't like it's not offering me enough interesting stuff to make me think like oh I, I want to go listen to that right now you know like I said I think yeah if, if I'd seen it in the room if I'd been there I would have been like that was beautiful and it would have probably been very moving. And I just, I, I, I can't, for some reason I have a hard time like mentally going all the way into that space. Yeah. I think it's a really nice break in this record. Um, yeah. Uh, you know, I would skip the next one, <laughs> but this is a nice break. And, um, what is the next one? So a light of mine. Oh yeah. I don't like that. Yeah. But then American land's great. And, but, but the really the only song about light on this record that matters is the reimagining of Blinded by the Light, which is like not the song you would think to include on here if you're gonna get one of like the bigger, you know, older hits, like big rock and roll hits. Yeah. You would think that you would pick one of the more famous ones, but to pick this sort of like poppier one and reimagine it like this is gutsy and also really good. This is the second song, by the way, from Greetings from Asbury Park, represented here. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That that's well, it, it's interesting that he represents Nebraska and Greetings the most at, of, the of like his original. Convert. Those are probably the ones he like kind of has reimagined the most in his head. Yeah, I I will say if you if you only watch the DVD, the DVD ends with track twenty with American Land. So if you're listening, it's, it, it, so if you've only watched the DVD concert film and you've not watched or you've not listened to the audio recordings, then you might not know the Blinded by the Light was played at this show. So, or at one of these shows. So, yeah, Blinded by the Light happens basically after the DVD ends, which is at track twenty-one. So, so why'd you why'd you pick this? You said you said you you respond really strongly to it. It's really good. Yeah, the just the way it's reimagined the the up pick the up strums and like the really aggressive you know speed that sort of ska yeah. almost, but not but not shitty and cheesy. It does sort of have a ska. <laughs> not that I hate ska. Though. I've listened to plenty of ska in my day, and there's certainly some good great. stuff. Um. Anyway. Yeah. Uh, I just love it, man. It's 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 hopping. It's a party song. And then the chorus is really cool. The blinded, 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 blinded baby by the by the light. You know, like mm-hmm. throwing baby in there. Sorry, that was a bad sing, and I stuttered. But anyway. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's so much fun, and the fiddle is like doing some weird run through the woods, you know, from a ghost thing. And <laughs> is it synesthesia ghost. if you hear scenes? <laughs> Maybe. Sure, why not? I don't know. I'm not a neurologist. If it's synesthesia when you hear scenes, then I have synesthesia. Well, then there you go. We'll, we'll say like that's my it. Greatest, my greatest dream. I want to be synesthetic. I'm just gonna start telling people, and they're like, "Oh, what what connection?" I'll be like, "Oh, I hear scenes." <laughs> I mean, yeah. Like if, I, if you if I hear you, pictures and light refractions. If you if you gain a visual experience from an audible like encounter, then that that's what that counts, right? Perfect. I'm synesthetic. Why not? Oh, who knows? The world just opened up to me. I feel like. Well, good. I'm not a doctor, I should say. So. But you are an ordained minister, so it counts. Well, yeah, but I ordained myself, so who really doesn't count? <laughs> Did you really? Well, so I mean, I, I started a church, and then I was ordained by the church that I started. I, I had not okay, previously okay. been ordained. But you've like 
been ordained in other places. I mean, I I, I have a degree from a, a yes. seminary, and I, I was licensed right. as a minister. Like, I, I'm not I've saying a- your ordination doesn't count. I'm just like you were making it sound like you were a snake oil salesman. <laughs> I mean, aren't I? Let's be. Real. I guess so. It's look, we're we're months into this pandemic. Nobody's leaving their houses ever again. Let's just let's just be real for a second. Am I not at least ten percent a snake oil salesman? If everyone is, man. I mean, who knows? I'm, I may be having an existential crisis about the nature of my work. <laughs> oh no, it's fine. What a great place to talk about that here in the public. <laughs> I mean, it's not. Like I guess anybody... it's just like a really nice, like little closed-off part of the public. <laughs> Look, I'm an open book. People, the people who've been watching my sermons would not at all be all at all surprised to learn, like. You know, like Rob's asking some questions that maybe most pastors aren't being totally honest about whether or not they're asking them, you know? So. I love that you're such an open book, but in our relationship, like, you're definitely the closed off one. <laughs> <laughs> well, the open book, just because I'm just like, I'm just like, not only am I naked, I'm inside out. <laughs> dude, I was going to say, I may be an open book. You're an open wound. So there's, you know, you're right. Yeah. There, there, there's oh, definitely, man, there's that, a level of transparency that even you will go to. That I'm like, I don't even know that much about myself. That you are an open wound. <laughs> we can't do this show together anymore. You called me an open wound. I meant it as a compliment. I know what you mean. I've got songs written about literally feeling like I'm in. Yeah, I'm an open wound. I may it's called been, anxiety. Th- that may be a little bit hyperbolic, just sort of as a as a point of comparison between, like you said, like you're still the more transparent one, even though I'm over here like. <laughs> Like, like calling yeah. myself a snake oil salesman. Right. No, I know what you're saying. <laughs> I just uh, thought it was funny to uh, to get back at you because you said open wound. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I, you know. <laughs> I meant it in the best way. It's one of my favorite things about you. Oh no no no! Cool. It's cool, man. I get it. It's I'm I'm like within like weeks of my new job, I had been like diversity placed on a mental health counsel <laughs> because like I'd already t- been open enough about like therapy <laughs> with my brand new colleagues that they were like, well, we got to have at least two people in therapy on this committee. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's funny. Yeah, man. Well then we get to track number 22, which is love of the common people. And I really only picked this because it, it's wanted not to hear me it, talk about white Island. Well, yeah, but um, mostly because it's not anywhere else. Like this is one of the only songs on live in Dublin that is only recorded on live in Dublin and not in any other iteration. And I knew that if we didn't talk about it here, we wouldn't ever talk about it in, in the season. So I figured like, first of all, it's, it's catchy and it's pretty fun, but also because it features a pretty great duet with Curtis King Jr. Who carries the other half of the song, which keeps it from being yeah. full blown white Island music. It's true. I do like his, his verses. I, uh, I don't know. I think they did this uh, Jimmy Buffett song like a pretty good, pretty good service, you know, because I don't even like Jimmy Buffett. I kind of like the song. Well, it's not actually. OK, so basic fact, police. This is not actually a Jimmy <laughs> Buffett song. Uh, it was written by John Hurley and Ronnie Wilkins in 1966. And uh, it was originally sung by a, a band called the Four Preps that actually wrote a lot of political protest music for just a group of four white guys in the 60s. Um, and it was later covered, though, by by the Everly Brothers. And it was a co- again covered by Waylon Jennings, along with several others. Um, but it, it's it's about living in poverty, but also having like family and people close to you that keep your soul kind of alive. So yeah. it's it, you know it, it's a nice communal sort of like you know we don't have money, but we've got you know all the things that we need. And um, have you listened to it's super trendy to have, but also good the new Michelle Obama podcast on Spotify? No, but I plan to. I just her and Barack talk about that a lot in the first episode. It's really nice. They talk about like community and how a lot of people don't understand that community is family in a lot of places, and that that may be the you know like a good way to do it. I have never missed people the way that I miss the Obamas. Oh, you know, right? Though I do, I do kind of resent a little bit that, um, and I know there's a lot of precedent for it. Very, you know, like uh, safety re- reason precedent. But I was watching somebody stand up special the other day. And they were like, can you imagine telling somebody just four years ago what's going on right now? Just even even a year ago, two years ago, telling them what's going on right now. Yeah. Or no, no, no. Yeah, yeah, four, four or five years. And, um, and then he's like, yeah, so you're telling them. You're like, oh, yeah, it was crazy. Trump got elected. And then uh, a bunch of crazy shit happened. <laughs> and then we all – and then he fired everybody who tried to arrest him. 
and we didn't know if he was going to leave the, the White House. And then we all had to stay home. So then it got even scarier because we couldn't go outside because there was a virus. But then everybody still did. So everybody got sick and died, except for some of us. And then he goes, he pretends to be the other person. He goes, what about the Obamas? And they were like, yeah, they got this Netflix holding deal. <laughs> oh, I think And I, I was did. like, oh, that didn't feel good. <laughs> I mean, they they did enough. But there's all right. a lot of precedent. There's a lot of precedent for stepping out of the way and letting the president lead and vacating the office with dignity. Yeah. Well, because one of the things that we're going to be complaining about at some point, I hope we are all alive to see it which is like what Trump is like after he leaves the White House. And it ain't going to be good. And he's going to be all like, he's going to be loud as hell all the time for the rest of his life. And which I assume at this point, he's probably going to live to be 125 because we're all just sort of doomed to live in the same universe as him forever. But that like the dignity of the Obamas is always going to be a point of contrast to whatever it is that he chooses to do. And like, I, you know, I, I, I miss their voices and I'm glad that they have a podcast and I'm, you know, I'm, I'm glad that he's beginning to campaign a little bit with Biden. But at the same time, I'm like, yeah, I don't blame him for like stepping aside for a little while and just laying low. Cause I mean, he was like daily, just like <laughs> he took so much verbal abuse from so many people for eight years. And the, for being like a pretty well-reasoned guy who's open to listening. You yeah. Know? For being like, like generally known as like one of the more decent people ever to hold the office. And just like his his thanks for that was like eight years of constant verbal abuse and that we that he was replaced by a guy who spent most of the last eight years questioning whether or not he was even a citizen of this country. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, God, <laughs> like, yeah, I signed a Netflix deal, too. Are you kidding me? Yeah, I'm all about signing a holding deal. I'm not. I'm just joking. 2020 has showed me that I don't want to sign a holding deal. I want to work right now. I want you to tell me what you want. I want to do it. <laughs> I want to do it now. I don't want to hold on any longer. Oh, that's all I want to do. I want to hold uh, indefinitely. Give me the holding deal. Like this? Just never expect me to meet a deadline. That'd be great. Yeah, and, you, and then you think about, like, every time you put gas in your car, go to the grocery store, you think about how you haven't produced a thing. The, don't they pay you up front for the holding deal? Yeah. Yeah, that's great. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I want. All I uh, want is an advance geez. that I never have to do anything. Make good on. Anyway, uh, so I think I think we're done. Love of the common people. <laughs> yeah, man. Don't know how we got all the way around to that. So sorry we've gotten overtly political two weeks in a row, but you know what? Uh, it's a pandemic. We've gotten overtly political like three years in a row. I mean, like straight up. I, I feel like we, like we've been, even, even for us, being more overtly. I, I try really hard to not be hyper-partisan all the time. It's just like right now at this moment, like any anybody who has a hard time with that right now, I'm just like, I don't even know. Like, first of all, what did you expect if we're going to be sitting here talking about Pete Seeger songs? Second of all, it things are not great, you know? <laughs> so Yeah, uh, I and mean, we're talking about this and like, I've made a decision lately. Like, I'm not going to be militant about my beliefs, but I am going to be like militantly me. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. Like not not in a not in a uh, hedonistic way, but like if someone says something I fully disagree with, I'm not going to try and change their opinion necessarily, but I'm going to be like I'm not going to let it slide. I'm not going to let that ride, you know. Yeah. And and it, you know if if it's something that like I'm just absolutely opposed to, I'm just, hey, don't say that. Yeah. Like tear gassing moms on a protest line is bad. Yeah. I'll say that. Also, controversial that though it may be 12 white moms uh out of a story of uh mil- you know like hundreds of thousands of moms who've been protesting this whole time and being tear gas this whole time yeah i was watching this is super random I, I was i was watching the simpsons today and i was watching the episode the who shot mr burns episode yeah. which is one of the funniest episodes of the simpsons ever but there the the news story that how 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 it's reported on the news in the world of the simpsons is really great which is like kent brockman says um like montgomery born noted billionaire montgomery burns was shot today there were lots of other people who were shot on lots of other days but this is the first person who mattered (laughs) yeah that's about right yeah and so i thought like oh that's this is 25 years old and deeply prescient that's a that's a joke that has a bite to it yeah. You know. Um. Anyway, <laughs> so I think we're done. I, I live in Dublin. Gr- a great addition to the Bruce Springsteen body of work. <laughs>
Yeah. So. <laughs> uh, absolutely. Yeah, yes. this has been a lot of fun. I love this one. If you're going to listen to Pete Tigger, you know, covers, this is the way to do it. Um, and so, yeah, go out and watch it. Check it out if you haven't seen it in a while. It's. Yeah. If you can get a hold of the of the film of it, I th- I'm sure it's on YouTube. It's it, like I said, it was broadcast on PBS, so it can't be that hard to find. Uh, but it's it's fully worth watching. It's it is in in these moments that we live in now. It it is to to simulate the effect of feeling like you're at a Bruce Springsteen concert with this this band performing these songs. It is it is a two hour vacation that you will be glad you took. Yeah, absolutely. So, all right. Well, if you're one of our patrons, like JB said before, you can jump over to the the bonus feed, and we're going to be talking about uh, we're going to be talking about our top five favorite concert films. Which the, obviously the reason for that is because this was live in Dublin was conceived as a concert film. So absolutely, um, you'll be able to go and hear that. And then next week, JP, I can't even tell you how excited I am about this. On our next episode, we're going to be talking Woo! about ma- magic. Magic. That's it's the time. whole reason we're doing this thing. The whole reason. Five years ago, when I texted JB and said, hey, you want to start a podcast? Really, what I wanted to do was talk about magic. Talk about magic. And now we're doing it. That's right. Don't know what we're going to do after that, but we're going to talk about magic next week. That's right. Uh, So I I, I can't get the Rona for at least one more week until after we've talked about magic. And hopefully not afterwards. Hopefully not. I'm being super careful. I'm being what what many people may, may accuse me of doing is being overly careful, but I'm not convinced that I'm being careful enough to not get it. So. That's right. Yeah. Or to spread it. I'm definitely being careful enough to not spread it. I'm not going anywhere. I'm just saying, like, if it get if if it arrives here via carrier pigeon, then you know you might get it. I may get it. But I I have in in okay. See, now we're talking about my own health choices. But um, because one of the things I've been thinking a lot about is like, what are my social responsibilities? Like, in what ways does this virus function, and in what ways do people get hurt by it? And I keep thinking like. I may not, like, I'm doing everything I can to not get it. But what I will not do is I will not be the reason somebody else got it. So I'm taking myself off the board as far as that goes. So even if I get it, even if, you know, like I said, even even if it somehow arrives here, I'm, I'm, I'm learning all sorts of new things about like whether or not it's even transmissible via like Amazon packages or, or whatever. So if that's the case, then, you know, I'm I'm still not fully, you know, out of the woods, but I will not in any situation be the reason somebody else got it. I'm not yeah. interacting with anybody at the level that would in any way transmit to somebody else. So right. yeah, that's for sure. The best I can do is assure you if you get it, it won't have been from me. So that's, that's the best I can do. So anyway, that's what I got for everybody. Hope All everybody's right, man. doing okay. Don't, you know, don't, don't make crazy decisions, mask up, be distant. Um, you know, be Don't graceful be- and kind to somebody this week. Yeah. From six Try feet Try to give away. out some blessings. Yeah. And, uh... Oh, can we close this thing with a blessing? Go ahead. Yeah. I think that we should send out more blessings. I think that people need to be blessing each other every day. All right. Here we go. Yeah. In this time of coronavirus, everybody's super stressed. Thank you all for listening. Thank you for all being a part of this. So anyway, and this is like, uh, I did this to a few friends and they thought I was being, I was joking. And I even got baby Austin to put some oil on April's forehead because I wasn't being silly, I wasn't being silly that time. Ah. But like, I, I mean, this guys, so may you feel safe and protected and may you feel peaceful and at ease and may you stay out of crowds and may you wear a mask. And may you live in the love of the common people. Yeah. And may you listen to this record at least once this week. Yeah. That's a, Give that, yourself permission to do that. That's a great blessing. I, I like that. Mm. Mm. All right. Well, we'll see everybody next time when we talk about magic. All right. All right.